The Siege of New Hampshire series by McRowland. Book Two Siege Fall. Chapter 15 Colliff's Farm. By the time Tyler Sierra pulled onto the Colliff Farm, the last of the four trucks, the small crowd of townsfolk was running low on enthusiasm. The last applause was more obligatory than eager. The first reluctant cow being coaxed off of a trailer captured everyone's attention. As soon as Tyler's trailer stopped, Martin jumped out and ran to the Sierra. He flung open the passenger door. We made it! He held his arms open wide. You're okay! This is great! Margaret jumped down with a big smile on her face and arms wide. Martin! Her smile suddenly dropped away. Ah, you smell like manure. Her arms dropped. She kept her distance. Martin looked down at his clothes. Bits of hay stuck to him. He did have poop on his boots. He brushed off the hay. Oh, yeah, uh, sorry about that. I kind of slipped in there and... Uh, but never mind that. You're okay. Oh, thank God for that. That was totally insane back there. And look at Tyler's truck. It's a miracle that neither of you were hit. Oh, I never would have asked you to come along if I thought it would be anything like this. It's okay, Martin. No one expected that. We stayed down a lot. Martin moved in for a thankful embrace, but Margaret held his arms, keeping a few inches of air between them. Please, I don't want to smell like manure. You know how I feel about that. Still, I am so glad that you're okay. You were taking some pretty huge risks out there, mister. What did I tell you about damaging my husband? She smiled. To not to, Martin said, imitating Mater. Quoting Pixar movies they watched while the kids were young was almost a shared hobby. Even years after the kids had grown and moved away, they could almost recite the entire script from Cars, Toy Story, and others. At least you were falling with style, she said. They shared a smile. A stinky style, but still... Margaret looked over Martin's shoulder and gasped. What happened to her? There's blood all over her. Martin turned to see that one of the cows being taken out of the trailer ahead of them had blood on her back and running down her side. Margaret rushed over, looking closely at the wound. Her hands moved around the area, not quite touching the cow's wet hide. Mr. Colliff, she shouted, over here. Red Colliff hurried as much as stiff joints would allow. Oh, my! he exclaimed. He gingerly felt around the bloody hide. As he got nearer to the top of the cow's back, she flinched and moaned. Hey, you, he shouted to a man nearer the trailer door. Go up to the house, fetch a bucket of warm water and some towels. The man ran to the house. Red had one of those authoritative voices. Bullet wound, Red said to himself. Doesn't seem too deep, though. Martin looked inside the trailer. A jagged hole pierced the roof. Looks like a shot hit the trailer, then hit the cow, he said. Hmm. Red gently probed the wound with bare fingers. He pulled out a little lead fragment. The metal roof must have started the bullet breaking up. Slowed it down a bunch, too. Looks like a buckshot wound, but this here's a hunk of bullet. We'll have to get her cleaned out. The man returned with a bucket of water and towels. Red turned to Margaret. I got some medical stuff in my truck back over there. Would you fetch me those? Red nylon bag. Margaret hurried off. Red daubed around the wound with the wet towels. She doesn't seem too bad off, Red said. 
Let's get her out of the cold. He told the man with the bucket to help him coax the cow into the barn. Margaret followed them with the red bag. The bullet hole in the trailer reminded Martin of the holed front end of the Laramie. Susan, where was she? Martin stood tall, looking around. The dark red truck set off to the left, behind the black Ford. Martin hurried over. He stopped for a moment, surveying the many bullet holes in the windshield. The hood was up, and Arthur was tinkering over the engine. Martin opened the back door. Susan was bent over Landers, who was turned away and leaning against the far door so that Susan could adjust the bandage on his back. When she turned to see who opened the door, she gasped. Martin! She squeaked. She leapt from the back seat, nearly knocking Martin over with her flying hug. Oh, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, she said into his shoulder. Landers turned slowly and gave Martin a wry look, as if to say, house guest, eh? Martin could feel a blush coming on. He gently pulled Susan away to stand her at a respectable arm's length. I heard you on the radio, she continued. You were out there. And they were shooting. I was so afraid that I'd lose. Oh, no, look at your neck and your ear. Oh, you're hurt. Let me get some. No, 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 I'll be fine. It's just a few scrapes from the rocks. They'll be okay. The important question is, how are you? Oh, Martin, I was never so scared in all my life. He smiled. I thought you said you weren't going to say that anymore, he said softly. She chuckled, sniffed, and wiped away the start of a tear. Yeah, I, I guess I did. Still, it was awful. I have never been that scared before. They told me to lay down in the back seat floor. You bet I did, too. I didn't see anything. I heard all of the shooting, the bullets hitting the truck. Look at it, Swiss cheese. Martin didn't think the truck looked like Swiss cheese, but this was not the time to mince metaphors. Yep, said Arthur, coming around from the front of the truck. Took a few rounds. One of them smacked the block. Some fragments nicked my radiator hose. It was probably the same round that took out my headlight. Lost coolant, slow and steady. The engine was starting to run hot near the last. Still, all in all, we got off easy. That was getting off easy, Susan argued. Well, maybe not easy-peasy, but those hoodlum types didn't seem intent on random destruction. They'd have shot out all the glass and tires in such pretty short order. I fancy they planned just to get rid of us and take the trucks and maybe the cows, too, if they had any idea what was in the trailers. They probably didn't. But I noticed they weren't shooting to disable the vehicles so much as just to keep us down. The two guys in back were probably supposed to... Martin glanced at Susan's worried face. Deal with us more directly. That's kind of what I figured, too, said Arthur. Good thing you boys were in the back there. Glad you took care of those two up front when you did. There was no way we were going to take out those guys up on the bluff. It was only a matter of time before more of their kind showed up to help them. Arthur clapped his hand on Martin's shoulder. Good work on the bandits, up front and clearing the strips. Martin felt embarrassed. He wasn't sure he actually did much to the two hoodlums up front. All of his shots might have missed. He may have even been clicking away with an empty gun for all he knew. Uh, it was more Charles than me, he said. Ah, said Arthur. I'll have to go thank Charles, too. So, what happened to you? Martin asked Landers. 
Ah, well, we were trying to keep fire on the boys up on the ridge, but uh, while I was reloading, they uh, got a shot off. Uh, Hit the back corner of the cab. Must have deflected it my way. Hit me in the back of the arm. Then across the small of my back. It doesn't look too bad, Susan added. A hunk of his arm is kind of torn up, and it looks like a nasty cut across his back. Arthur gave me his first aid kit to help stop the bleeding. Landers continued. I think Eric saw me go down and rushed over to help. They decided to cross-ship me over to the Laramie, where Miss Susan here could patch me up. You got quite the, uh, house guest there, Martin. Arthur was telling me what to do, Susan protested. I didn't always know what he was talking about. I'm no nurse. I was telling Mr. Landers about trying to patch you up, Martin, during our walk up here. That's as much experience as I had as being a nurse. She was all kinds of chatty back there about your adventures getting back up to Cheshire, said Landers with a wink. Martin felt himself slump. Oh, no. What was she saying? Uh, just trying to help somebody out. Uh, her house burned down, and we had, uh, I mean, my wife, Margaret, and I, we had uh, an empty room, so Eric came trotting over with a plastic bucket full of water. Here's the water, Dad. Great, great. Pour some of it in the reservoir there. Be careful taking off the cap. It's still really hot. Tyler walked up to the group. Hey, Mr. Landers, how are you doing? Heard you got hit. Ah, doing pretty well, considering, Landers said. Susan began to fuss with some of the loose bandage tape on Landers' back. Got a hold still for the doctor, though. Martin, Tyler said. Margaret said to tell you that she's going to give some people a quick lesson on milking. Wants you to come. Probably be fifteen or twenty minutes. I'll hang around, give you a ride home if you like. Oh, that'd be nice, thanks. I really don't feel like walking home. We'd better be getting Landers back to his wife ASAP, said Arthur. If she's been monitoring the radio, she may have heard about her husband getting shot. We could give Susan a ride home, too, right? said Eric, nodding eagerly. I suppose, said Arthur. You want to get home a little earlier? he asked Susan. Before she could answer, Eric stepped up behind her with a hand on each of her shoulders. I'm sure she'd like to get home as soon as possible, he continued nodding. Susan glanced at Eric's hands on her shoulders. Martin tried to burn holes in Eric's hands with his laser vision. I guess I could make sure Mr. Lander's bandages were okay until we drop him off at his house, she said. At a girl, beamed Eric. At a girl, Martin mocked under his breath. Susan glanced at Martin. Her small smile was quickly replaced by a worried look. Uh, Martin, Tyler said. I told Margaret that I'd come get you. She's probably already started. Martin gave his laser vision one more try, but it still didn't work. He turned to join Tyler, who had already headed toward the milking house. Martin wasn't sure if he would lose control of himself if he saw Eric help Susan into the Laramie by pushing on her backside. Martin shook off that mental image, pulled his head down into his coat collar, and walked faster. Inside the milking parlor, the six cows were spaced out in the stanchions to leave room between them for the novice milkers to watch. Four people stood near Margaret, who stood beside one of the cows. On the other side of the parlor, Red presided over a different group of novices. Okay, first thing, 
Margaret began her lecture. They need to be milked twice a day, without fail. If you let them go, it'll be really painful for them for a while. That's bad enough. But then they'll dry up. That's normal. The mother dries up and the calf is no longer nursing. We want to keep them producing. Once they dry up, they won't produce milk again until they've had another calf. There is no reset switch, so just get used to it. Twice a day. Martin stood near the door, only half listening. On the ride to Cheshire, he had almost talked himself out of loathing Eric's behavior. He thought that maybe he had misjudged his looking at her as leering. Maybe he really did stumble. But his hands on her shoulders, yeah, that seemed far too familiar. He had just met her this morning. Was it a first step into bookmarking? Once she had become acclimated to his handling her shoulders or arms, would the rest follow quickly enough? Martin was back to loathing. You start with a bucket of warm water, with just a little soap in it, like this one. You need to wash down the udder and the teats. They've been stomping around in poop for ten or twelve hours, probably laying in it, so they're going to be dirty. Anything you don't wash off is likely to fall in your bucket of milk. If you don't want to drink it, wash it off. Maybe Martin had misjudged things. What if, while they were driving up to Canterbury, Eric and Susan really did hit it off? Martin didn't know. He wasn't there. What if Susan liked Eric? Maybe he was a really nice guy deep down. Perhaps his advances were not rude and forward, but encouraged by her. Maybe his loathing was misplaced. But before you wash down the udder, check her tail. Tails get pooped on pretty regularly. People like to think cows are dumb, but they're not. They're smart, and they can be mean. They somehow know if they've got a poopy tail, and when you sit down to milk them, they'll smack you with it, just for fun. Cows don't get a lot of fun, but that's one thing they do like to do. So, if you see a poopy tail, wash that after you've used the clean water for the udder. The way Susan looked at his hands on her shoulders, though, that didn't look like a welcoming look or an accepting look. She looked surprised and a little taken aback. Martin placed Eric's file in the dangerous predator's drawer in a red folder. After you've washed her down, you sit on your little stool like this. Be careful not to sit too close to her knee or she'll knock you over. Set your milk bucket in like this so you can grip it with your knees or she'll shift her footing and kick it over. Martin knew that Susan needed more in her world than chores around the Simmons house, but the options for a fuller, richer lifestyle were pretty slim with the power out. Chores and just trying to get by took a lot of time. Man's oldest sport, conquering women, didn't require electricity, of course, but by God, Martin wasn't going to tolerate Eric entertaining himself at Susan's expense. She was a decent woman who already had been dealt a bad hand, she didn't need any more losers. If you've got some hand lotion or petroleum jelly, rub it on your hands so you don't irritate her with friction. This is just being nice. Don't, don't use so much that it falls off your hands and into the bucket. Remember, you're planning on drinking that. Susan deserved someone who would be there to take care of her, protect her. Martin had spent the last 23 years working hard at being a proper protector and provider for Margaret. She deserved that. Every woman deserves a guy who is dedicated to protecting her and providing for her, not some jerk just looking to use her. You'll know she's let down her milk and ready to be milked when her udder is nice and round. 
Margaret sat back on her stool. Sometimes, though, she's keeping her gut sucked in, so she's not letting down her milk. It's kind of like a guy sucking in his gut while the tailor measures his waist. Cows do the same, especially if they're not comfortable, in a new place, new milker, etc. Like this girl here. But here's what I do. Give him a little elbow in the side, like this. Ha! See? See how nice and round the udder is now? Martin fumed at his lack of any real authority to reprimand, or better yet, punch Eric's lights out for behaving badly. Selfish scoundrels needed a darn good thrashing. Martin still felt rage at how her former boyfriend had treated her. He could just imagine that if he ever met that Mark character, he'd want to pummel him into the sidewalk. That Mark was a total jerk who took advantage of Susan's trusting nature. But why did Martin feel entitled to that rage? Hold the teat like this, see? Wrap your fingers around like this. You don't pull down like it's a bell rope or anything. It's more of a gentle squeeze with just a little pull, like this, see? A thin jet of white spurted into the can, making a hollow splattering sound in the empty bucket. You keep doing this until the milk seems to not be coming as strong. The udder above the teat will start to sag and look deflated. That's how you know you're pretty much done. Margaret went back to work with a teat in each hand, alternating squirts into her bucket. Why did the jerks of the world have to go around preying on the nice girls? Why did they have to terrorize the good girls? Susan was nice. She had spunk and a terrific pioneer spirit that was worth a cow's weight in gold. How could Martin stand by and watch some hormonally overcharged beast trample a pretty flower garden? Maybe that was just the way fallen human nature was, but Martin didn't feel like he had to stand for it. Okay, Margaret stood up. I did those two teats. You sit down and do this one. She watched a middle-aged woman sit down nervously on the stool. Her hands were frozen, just inches from the teats. No, you won't break her, Margaret reassured. And if you act scared, she's going to get nervous, too. After all, if you're scared, she'll think maybe she should be, too. It's a predator-prey instinct thing. So, be slow and gentle, but firm. If you're calm, she's more likely to relax. The lady worked with one teat. When she got a stream of milk in her bucket, she looked at everyone with a huge smile. They each took a turn until the cow's udder hung limp. I think they'll get it, Margaret told Martin. They're really stiff and clumsy about it, but that'll come. I never thought I would be milking cows again, but it was kind of fun teaching people how to milk. And, yeah, looky here, I got almost a gallon that we can take home right now. I'm going to have to bring bottles with me each day. The Colifs don't have many. Uh, are you ready to go, Tyler? Tyler and Charles sat up front. They chatted about how to patch up the bullet holes in the fender and hood. Some clear tape might keep the wind from blowing through the windshield holes. You've been awfully quiet, Martin, Margaret said. Martin wasn't sure how to answer her without sounding snarky. He wasn't sure where to even begin a conversation. There were so many topics swirling around in his head, all incomplete. You'll just have to give him a little space, Charles said over his shoulder. He just shot a guy today, maybe two. Takes a little while for a man to process something like that. Oh, yeah, Margaret sat back, holding her bucket in her lap. Oh, great, Martin thought. I haven't even thought about that guy. I'm too fixated on pummeling Eric. But I did shoot that man. 
How could I not think of that? That reminder sent Martin into a dark cave. Who was that young man? Did he get help from his companions, or did he bleed to death on the cold pavement? When Martin practiced at the range, he wondered if he would ever be able to shoot a person. Targets were one thing, but a real person? He had imagined that he might freeze up, conflicted at the critical moment, or that he would try to be merciful and aim to wound instead of kill. His thinking was all wrong. There was no time to think about it. The whole situation pounced on him like a mountain lion. People who moralized about thinking twice or carefully weighing the matter had obviously never been there. There was no time for moralizing dilemmas. He shot to kill. It turned out he didn't kill him. Not right away, anyhow. But at that critical moment, he shot to kill. Did that make him a killer? How was he any different than the hoodlums? That realization pulled him deeper into the cave. He had quickly decided to end someone's life. He failed, but that didn't change his intentions. Part of him wanted to believe that the young man was a vile offender who had done many evil deeds and deserved to die. But how did Martin know any of that? What if he was the younger brother of a gang member who, until today, had been a good student in school, did chores for his mother, and wanted to be a diesel mechanic some day, but his brother brought him along on this ambush? Martin had to shake away that line of thought. If he allowed himself to, he could turn the young hoodlum into the purest innocent babe that ever lived. Babe or not, he had a gun, and he and his buddy said they planned to kill people. Margaret would have been one of the first. Martin was not going to allow anyone to hurt Margaret, or Susan, or anyone in the group. If anyone threatened his people, they would simply have to die. He felt like he had just discovered a hole in his soul. The next day, Martin sought refuge and work. The Hendricks said they would bring over Charles's old crew cab, but they didn't say when. In the meantime, Martin could begin with calculations based on scaling up ten-man specs for the crew cab's engine displacement. "'Oh, hey, Dad,' Dustin said. "'Mom said I might find you in the garage.' Martin didn't look up from his makeshift drawing table. "'Ah, working on that bigger gasifier idea, eh?' Martin wasn't in the mood for conversation. Uh, "'So what happened up in Concord, huh? Judy was up on the ridge in Baldwin's Meadow with the crank radio.' She picked up a mass station. Sounded like things could get pretty bad. Mm, probably. Probably. More like for certain. They read some statement from Governor Baylock saying that our governor broke the law, violated federal procedures or something, and how federal aid can't get shipped up here until all that gets fixed the way the feds want it. There was something about a council of governors to decide what to do about us. Then there was some other guy. Judy didn't pay attention to who he was who said that all aid would be cut off to New Hampshire, even by outside organizations or individuals, and that when people were suffering, it was Governor Vincent's fault, and how the people in New Hampshire should impeach Vincent, or something. So let's not suffer. That'll mess up their plans, Martin muttered. Look here, Martin pointed to his drawings. We'll need a metal vessel about this big, maybe about as big as a metal trash can, or a 40-gallon drum and another one about this big. Did you remember seeing anything like this when you were at the dump? Well, I don't remember. I wasn't looking for anything that big, so I didn't notice. Well, your watch isn't until midnight, so how about you ride up and check things out? You don't have to bring anything back, just see what's there. Here's a list of the desirable stuff. See what you can locate. Okay, cool. 
I'll get right on that, but, uh, first I, um, what? While you were gone, I kind of had a little weirdness with the Dunnans. What kind of weird? Martin turned to face Dustin squarely. Well, it's kind of embarrassing, but I was out there, you know, looking through the junk for strapping and such, and, well, Mrs. Dunnan came up and she... Was she asking for extra food? Well, no, not exactly. She was just being really over-friendly, complimenting me on stuff and kind of swishing her hair back and forth and smiling a lot. Dustin leaned closer to Martin so he could whisper, She wears a red bra, and I think she wanted me to know that, for some reason. She just kind of kept swinging around all prancy-like, and her coat kept gaping open. Oh, really, Martin said flatly. Yeah, really. It was really weird. I thought I was getting pranked or something. Then she looked at her watch, zipped up her coat, and went inside. I totally do not understand women. Well, that part is understandable. Just not good. No, but then later Judy told me she surprised Mr. Dunnan in the kitchen yesterday. He was looking through the pantry. Judy said he was acting all nervous. He said he was doing an inventory because Mom told him to do one. But once Judy was there, he just left. He didn't have any paper or a clipboard or anything. Turns out that while he was in the kitchen was the exact same time that Mrs. Dunnan was acting all weird. I think they're up to something. Hmm, Martin frowned at the floor. Well, I better get going up to the dump so I can get back before dark. See ya. Martin continued to adjust his new gasifier plans, calculating the flow rate of tubing and inlet openings. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Susan cautiously peek around the corner. She stood in the door a while. Um, she began timidly. Are you angry with me? she asked. No, Martin continued to punch numbers into his little calculator. Because yesterday, uh, I didn't know that they were going to drive to their house first. I thought they were going to drop me off here, uh, but they didn't. Martin really didn't want to know. Susan was in charge of her own social life. He had nothing to say about it. It's not like she was 14. She was 35 and perfectly capable of sorting out her own social circumstances. He was just providing a room for her during the outage. Then Mr. and Mrs. Emulari unhitched the trailer and told Eric to drive me home. I don't know the roads around here. I had no idea there was a long way around. Martin could feel his rage growing. He didn't want to hear any more, but couldn't tell her that. I have to go check my snares, he said. He slung the carbine over his shoulder, put on his cap and gloves, and strode out of the garage. In the woods, there was a calming silence. He could be hundreds of miles from all that plagued him, for all he knew. That was a comforting thought. The bait was still there for all his snares. Nothing had been disturbed. Perhaps he had caught the last squirrel. That was disquieting. Martin checked the flower pot under the two beaches. The flatbread was gone. In its place sat a half-dozen cracked acorns and a root of some kind. It tasted slightly sweet. Andy was at least trying to barter. Martin took the long way home, along the fire trail. There were no other animal sounds. Even the wind was absent from the branches. The peace of the woods whispered escape from the heavy weight he felt. Coming in through the downstairs door, he heard Margaret laugh in the kitchen above. 
He hadn't heard her laugh for quite a while. He wondered what she found amusing. He walked quietly up the stairs so that he could hear whatever the funny story was. That sounds interesting, but it sounds like a whole lot of work, Margaret said with a little chuckle. Margaret was at the far counter, kneading dough. Standing beside her, too close beside her for Martin's temperament, was Adam. Their backs were toward him, so they didn't see him arrive. I can tell you don't mind a little workout, now and then. Adam's eyes darted from her chest to her face and back. Martin could feel his jaw muscles tightening. He silently moved closer. He had no moral authority to object to Eric oogling Susan, but he had every right to object to someone oogling his wife that way. He wasn't sure how he would object, but he planned to do something once he was in range. He took his hand off the grip of the high point in his pocket. Society might have deteriorated, but things were not full-on lawless. Thou shalt not murder was still one of the Ten Commandments. You really don't get the recognition you deserve around here, Adam said. I mean, you put in all this time into the meals. Oh, it's not just me, Margaret said. Judy helps out a lot, and so do the others. Oh, I know purred Adam. But it's really you that keeps things going around here. I just wanted you to know that I recognize all that you do. I mean, Martin is always out in the woods or messing around with that crazy smoker thing. Martin stepped behind them. Leering was not grounds for killing a man. But it was sufficient for a beating just shy of death. Ever since that trip to Canterbury, Martin had become a spring tightly wound pent up with rage over events that he had no say in. Here was something that he did have a say in. Oh, he just has a lot to do. Margaret brushed her hair out of her eyes with the back of her wrist. Yeah, but he talks to that Susan person way more than he talks to you. Adam moved a little closer, so Margaret's elbow brushed his as she kneaded the dough. I don't think that's right. You deserve attention, too. He stroked the back of her arm. The spring snapped. Ah! Martin shouted as he grabbed Adam by the collar and the hair. He pulled him backward and threw him onto the kitchen floor. Martin! Margaret screamed. What are you doing? What I should have done earlier, Martin said with a tight jaw. Adam recovered from the shock of being thrown down and was scrambling backwards, eyes wide. Martin grabbed Adam by his belt buckle and neck of his sweatshirt. He pulled Adam up off the floor, his face close to Adam. Get out of here! What are you doing, man? Adam whined. What's gotten into you? You did. Martin threw him onto the floor again. Now get your stuff. You're getting out of here before I do something permanent. Yeah, what do you mean? Martin pointed down the hallway. Get your stuff. All your stuff. You are out of this house. But where would we get your stuff? Martin shouted. Or I may change my mind and you'll never leave this property. Do you understand me? Martin! Margaret rushed up beside him. What are you doing? What's the matter with you? I might have to put up with a lot of things, Martin told her, but I don't have to put up with that. They are out of here, both of them, right now. Martin kicked Adam in the leg. Get up, get your stuff packed. Trish came up the stairs. What's all this shouting, Adam? Why are you on the floor? You too, said Martin. Get your stuff packed. I'm getting the truck. You are both going to be in it in five minutes if I have to throw you in. Whatever you don't have with you in five minutes stays here, but you are both 
out of here. Now get going. But Martin... Trish tried to sound alluring and pulled her collar open a bit. She was too upset to play the temptress well. No, but Martin, get your stuff and be down there in five minutes or I'm throwing you out the window. Either way, you are gone. Martin stomped down the stairs to the garage. Margaret followed him. What has gotten into you? He was just talking. I heard what he said. I saw how he looked at you. I don't have to stand for it. Not in my own house. I knew his game, Margaret said. He was just buttering me up to get some extra food. That's all he was doing. You didn't think I took his silly flattery seriously, do you? Then why are you trying to keep him here? What? What are you saying? Martin had to stop and take a deep breath and let it out slowly. He held her face so that he could look her in the eye. He was talking to his wife, not the frustrating world. Ah, <sighs> Kit Kat, I'm really sorry. He hadn't used her pet name in years. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean how that sounded. I really didn't. In all our years, you've never once made me wonder. No, of course not. And you've been my totally safe guy all these years. But now you're acting crazy. I know, I know. And I'm sorry if I freaked you out. It's just that <sighs> things are going to get tougher around here with no prospect of outside aid. We're going to be under even more pressure. The last thing this house needs is a couple of troublemakers. He just said one stupid, oh, no, it's more than that. I caught Adam sleeping on watch. If it happens this early, I can't trust him. Dustin and Judy both said the Dunnans were acting suspiciously while we were gone. Trish has tried buttering me up like Adam was trying on you. What? You never mentioned anything about that. And I had hoped it was just a young and foolish moment, like you said, that wouldn't happen again. But trouble keeps happening. They're just out of here. But you can't just kick them out, Martin. Where will they go? It's almost winter. Right now, I wouldn't mind throwing them in a pit. Martin, she scolded in horror. I'm not going to. I'm just going to take them to the town farm. They can take care of them. I'm through with them. Martin pulled his truck to the middle of the driveway. Driving the Dunnans to the town farm would use up a gallon of what gasoline he had left. That gasoline was not replaceable. It seemed worth every drop to be rid of the two of them. Time's up, Martin growled. He grabbed the two suitcases off the bed, even though they weren't fully zipped shut. Hey, Adam complained. We weren't done. Yes, you are. Get going. Adam and Trish hurried down the hallway ahead of Martin a minimalist version of Pamplona. In the driveway, Martin threw the two suitcases into the pickup bed. Now get in, he pointed to the bed. Hey, Adam tried to muster some indignation. We came with two boxes of food. And you've eaten that much since you got here. Now get in that truck before I break you in half. Martin could feel his fists trembling. He wanted very badly to pummel Adam until his own fists bled. So much was going wrong in Martin's life, someone needed to pay. He didn't mind if Adam turned out to be that someone. Judy and Susan looked on from a safe distance. Margaret implored, with dough-caked hands, for Martin to calm down and not do anything rash. Martin drove faster than was prudent on a rough dirt road. He didn't particularly care if the two of them bounced out. Martin's truck slid to a stop on the gravel driveway of the Webster farm. He hurried around, flung open the tailgate, and jumped up. Adam and Trish slowly stood up, 
Martin picked up one of the suitcases and flung it to the grass near the back door. The second one followed. Now get out, he growled to Trish. This is where you're staying now. As much as his anger wanted to throw her out, she was still a woman, and he refused to lay a hand on her. She quickly scrambled down the tailgate. Hey, man, Adam stood as imposingly as he could. I don't have to stand for this treatment. No, you don't, Martin said. He grabbed Adam's shoulder and hip and tossed him over the pickup bed wall. What's going on out here? demanded Candace. Oh, my, what is going on out here? You have two new residents for the town farm, Martin said. What? Candace turned to the Dunnans. What went wrong? It doesn't matter, said Martin. They're homeless. Now take them in, or let them sleep in the woods. It doesn't matter to me. I'm done with them. Oh, no, no, no. Candace turned on her condescending smile. The Webster farm is quite full. There's no room. You'll just have to take them back. They're not coming back to my house, Martin seethed. Just then, he saw Lucas peeking cautiously around the open door. Lucas, is your papa upstairs? Lucas nodded. Tell him to come down here for a minute, would you? Lucas disappeared. Your attitude, Mr. Simmons, is quite barbaric. In these troubled times, we all have to work together. We can't let our petty feelings... Carlos? Martin ignored Candace. Would you rather stay here or come live at my house? You need to decide right now. Carlos needed no time. We will come with you, Mr. Martin. I, I will go and tell Anna. There you go, Martin addressed Candace. Now the farm has an opening. Candace tried to loom over Martin so that she could look imposingly down on him. Who stays here and who doesn't is not your decision, Mr. Simmons. I insist that you stop this Neanderthal behavior right now. Candace, I never once laid a hand on a woman in anger, and I don't want you to be the first. Now stand aside. Carlos, Anna, and Lucas hurried out the door, but stopped, realizing that they didn't really know where they were hurrying to. Put your bags in the back of my truck, Martin said. I have room for one inside with me. Who will it be? Lucas lobbied to ride in the bed. Carlos agreed, so long as he could supervise. Anna was the reluctant winner of the upholstered seat. Martin drove carefully back to his house. Anna didn't say anything. She only smiled somewhat nervously. It looks like the pressure's getting to Martin, just a little bit. If you're liking the story, please consider giving a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you happen to be listening on. I'd appreciate it.